The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, stop massaging your dirty bits and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan, announcing show number 483 with guest Ken Teagles, recorded live Tuesday, August 25th, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD in our TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Redgate Software, essential tools for SQL Server, .NET, and Exchange. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says, healthcare bill, I got a mailbox full of them. Carl Franklin. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. You know, Lawrence always comes up with good jokes, doesn't he? He does indeed. Well, sometimes. Yeah, but then why doesn't he ever tell him? I don't know. Hey, you're not supposed to talk <laughs> yet. Control <laughs> your guests. What's up with that guest? <laughs> it's talk tension, man. It's, it's an unruly guest. Uh, is this how it's going to start? This is how this show's going to go, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. All right. Well, just call me the just call me the Jim Harrison of .NET Rocks. All right. Well, let's get right into Better Know a Framework then. <laughs> All right. So, Better Know Framework, of course, this little segment I do where I just pick out a little piece of the .NET Framework that, uh, if it sounds interesting to you, you can go look it up in the documentation. Uh, it's not training, so don't send me emails. So, today I'm talking about the int pointer structure, I-N-T-P-T-R. Oh. If you've ever done any P-invoke or called, you know, Windows API calls or, or you know, standard Windows DLLs through P-invoke, you know that Int pointer is a platform-specific type that's used to represent a pointer or a handle. And it's int pointer because that's usually an integer, but it's not necessarily always 32-bit or 16-bit or 64-bit. It's designed to be an integer whose size is platform-specific. That is, an instance of this type is expected to be 32-bit on 32-bit hardware or operating systems and 64-bits on 64-bit OSs. So this is part of that whole run any CPU mode when you build your app. Yeah, which is evil. <laughs> oh, I'm with you. There man. are so many problems with using any CPU. If you go to the compile options in Visual Studio, 
Probably a good idea is if you're not using extremely large data structures, extremely large files, that kinds of things. If you're not using gobs and gobs of RAM, you should just compile for x86 because it's going to run better on even on 64-bit systems. I totally agree. And and I think the only reason we're running into these issues these days, I'm certainly finding it in ASP.NET, is that people are now running 64-bit operating systems and finding out the hard way that right. actually their app doesn't run 64-bit properly. Right. And besides, the benefit, and we said this before, the benefit of a 64-bit OS is more RAM, but that means more 32-bit processes can can fit into your large RAM pool. Right. I don't know how else to say. What it. does I'm this have to do with in pointers? I don't know. We just get off on a <laughs> get off on a tangent somewhere. But um, the other thing that I want to mention about in pointers is that you probably run into this if you're doing p invoke. And a great resource for all of those declare statements uh, is pinvoke.net. Nice. There it is. There you go. Exciting. What you got, Richard? I've got an email, and it goes back a little ways from about show 445, which was, you know, 40 shows ago. Hi, guys. Just wanted to drop a note and say thanks for another great show. I appreciate the discussion on REST, WCF, and MVC. In particular, I like the idea of building REST services on top of the ASP.NET MVC stack. I've recently been thinking along the same lines. In fact, using MVC to serve the basic JSON REST requests was sort of a self-justification for my diving into the MVC framework in the first place. I felt that if I worked on learning MVC, I would have the added benefit of being able to build simple RESTful services. Hmm. There are so many technologies that a person can try and wrap their brain around. There's only so many hours a day. I could commit to learning WCF and the many additional benefits that it brings to the table, rest and otherwise, at a later time. So his real point here is this whole get into MVC to get the advantages of rest without having to deal with WCF. Yeah. Thanks for the great show. And for reaffirming that I'm not totally off base in this case anyway, uh, Tim Droud from Anaheim, Saskatchewan. That's right. Slip the Canadian in there. Saskatchewan. Isn't that the middle of nowhere? Isn't Saskatchewan's the, one of those places where you want your dog run away for three days. Kind of flat, huh? Yeah, it keeps, keeps going. But it depends. I don't know exactly where Anaheim, Saskatchewan is. There are some places where they also keep their mosquitoes, and there's some lakes and things, but, you know, not just plains. Anyway, Tim, thanks for your email. A mug is on your way to Saskatchewan. And if you've got questions, ideas, concerns, suggestions, send us an email, rocks at franklins.net. And that brings us to our guest, whom has spoken before here just a few minutes ago. You heard his voice out there. Kent Teagles <laughs> is a mentor with Pluralsight and a professor of computer science at Colorado Technical University. He teaches classes in databases, mathematics, and economics. Oh, man, we're screwed, Richard. We got an <laughs> academic here. He's going to tear us to pieces. He's a smart I guy. I promise to behave. Kent, well, maybe. <laughs> Kent is a former Microsoft MVP for SQL Server and holds numerous Microsoft certifications. He's completing his doctorate in computer science. Oh, we're really screwed. Nice. We're He's completing his doctorate in computer science at the Institute for Advanced Studies. Kent is a well-known regional speaker, has co-authored a number of books and articles on Microsoft.net and web platforms. He lives in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and enjoys cooking. You can follow him via Twitter and Facebook as Teagles. K-T-E-G-E-L-S. Welcome, Kent. Hey, guys. Nice to be here. North Dakota. Yo. Yeah, it's north of me. How, uh, so, oh, you're in South Dakota. I'm in South Dakota. You're in South Dakota. Uh, so, granted, there's not a lot of difference between the two, but 
You yeah, know, Fargo's we like, in North we Dakota. We like to maintain though. our distinct identity for some reason. But Fargo's in North Dakota, though. Fargo is there in North Dakota. Yeah. And uh, Mount Rushmore? South? Is in South Dakota. South Dakota. It's, it's about 400 miles west of me. Yeah. Okay, well, enough about that. Let's talk about SQL Server Integration Services. I like SQL Server Integration Services. That's a good idea. Yeah, so this is your thing. It's one of my things. It's uh, probably what I'm most known for. It's uh, a very slick set of tools and technologies, and I think it's something that's really underappreciated by the developer community. So I'm happy to be here talking to the developers about SSIS today. So if you're a developer who occasionally works with databases and you don't really do much uh, you know, on the, on the DBA side, just tell us why SSIS and what problem does it solve? Well, do you ever have to put data into a database? Uh, occasionally. Occasionally, right? I would. I used to argue that almost every application that existed somehow worked data. Most of the time, it went into a database. I, I like to say the ones that pay money. Yeah, use a database. Yeah, the, the ones that actually are not <laughs> academic. That's right. uh, their job is basically here's some data, manipulate it, somehow get it into the database. So the idea is you have data from somewhere else. Now you want to load that into SQL Server. Right. You could even be generating it as a result of reading devices. You could be pulling it off of a alien system like an AS400 or something like that. Um, whatever it is, but most of most of the programs I've written in my lifetime have been that where we have data in format X and we need to get it to format Y. And, uh, how do you do, and how do you most efficiently do that? And the older technology was data transformation services, right, DTS? It was, was good old DTS, you betcha. Yeah. And DTS was an interesting tool. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Well, and it was really a programmer's tool because you, you had to do anything that was of any interest at all in VBScript, which it really hits the old Wayback Machine. Yeah, that, I'm not sure that that makes it a programmer's tool, but it, mm. it does make it more developer-focused. Well, my point being, That's most DBAs sure. looked at that one and said, I blame you, and then pointed to the developer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely, right? There's Except you couldn't do pointers in VB, so you couldn't really point at the developer. Ah, but uh, oh, uh, Now, man. if you have VBNet, you'd use an int pointer, and you'd be... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> those those tips are always helpful, those those little chunks of the .NET framework. We yeah. always find a good way to tie those into the show, don't we? Absolutely. I think. So, you know, the, the big thing for me with SSIS is I got really tired of writing data access code. Uh, why why struggle to write, you know, this, this will age me quite a bit, but why struggle to write SQL command adapters? And why write, why struggle to, with the data adapter and all that? Yeah. Well, it's it, it just gotten more and more hideous as time has gone on. We had the enterprise library for a while, and boy, everybody thought that was going to be the answer. And well, we kind of see where that's gone for data access. And then we got Link, and well, <laughs> I could do a whole show on why I don't like Link, but uh, you don't like Link. Sequel. I don't like Link. No, and I really, really don't like Link to XML. But that's oh well, we got to go down this rabbit hole. Why? Perhaps fodder because we already had something in the .NET framework that was better. Better and yeah, it was called XQuery. And well, that's it was, for it was a, databases, yeah, was, though. But what if what if you no, just got a huge collection? What if you right? just got a huge collection of data that you want to pull stuff out of, and it's just in memory? Uh, that's the one use case for Link that I think is very valid. Is linked to collection. Okay. Right, and I have I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, but again, where should data live? Where is it going to be persistent? Where is it going to be backed up? Where is it going to be secure? 
Is that going to be in an application store? Probably not. Well, there are times, I would argue, that uh, where the data exists um, like in a file tree or something like that. If you have, let's say, you're writing a program to uh, automatically pull up your MP3 files and it has to go through directories and find all these MP3s, take the tag data, put it into classes, load it into a collection. Now, it's not a lot of data, but you may have four or 5,000 songs in there, and it's going to change every time. So you have to read it from the files themselves. So now you have to pull that into a collection. And oh, do you? The way you query, well, you don't have to. But why would you put it in a database when it's going to change next time you run the program? Uh, because it may or may not change the next time you run the program. It depends on how on how the velocity of which you add data to the collection. And it also depends on exactly what you're doing with that data. You may want to make multiple query available to it, which an application has a hard time doing. And it's funny that you that you mention that because one of the demos I normally do when I talk about SSIS scripting is exactly that. Huh. How do we enumerate through a directory of MP3s? How do we how do we load it into data buffers and how do we ship that in for the metadata? Out to a database. Well, I would argue that uh, up to a certain number of songs and sizes and hard disk speeds, it's just much faster to to read and load that data right off the disk, and it's more accurate and doesn't require doesn't require a database at all. I think the only thing that it doesn't require is it doesn't require ongoing maintenance of the data. Other than that, I, w- I would challenge you to write a link query that's faster than writing. So challenged. Yeah. I have written it. Yeah, sometime we'll have to sit down and do that. Yes, we will. Yep. But anyway, okay, so let's let's pop back up the rabbit hole and I just want to throw one other element into link, which is, you know, you said xquery and I don't inherently hate xquery. I just don't do it often enough to be good at it. Right. And it's one of those things where if you don't maintain that skill, it leaks away. Oh, absolutely. Not me. I hate I mean, it. I even got good at XSLT at one point in my life, but it got away from me, hate too. Hate that, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think one of the best strengths of Link is because it's a common querying languages across all of these different things, You only need, it's more likely you're going to retain it. Well, it's more likely you're going to retain it if you use it. It's like anything else. If the more you use it, the more you retain it. Yeah. I, I studied Link for a long time. And I can still write queries in it, but what's my query language of choice? Well, it's T-SQL. Right. So I think personal biases obviously do play into it. And I don't, I don't harbor anything against the X-Link people other than we already had a good way to query XML in the .NET framework. And Microsoft put a lot of money into XQuery, and they just kind of let it get away. And I, and I thought that was particularly sad. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, without whom this show would not exist. No doubt, you bump into testing tasks now and then in your work. And we can bet writing functional tests is not your favorite thing. It's difficult. It takes ages and the results could be dubious. Well, get ready to start liking it thanks to Telerik. With the just-launched Web AII testing framework, building web automation tests is a breeze. Enjoy code-based automation of advanced ASP.NET AJAX and Silverlight apps. Write a single test and have it executed against multiple browsers at once. Benefit from rich API link support, integration with Visual Studio unit testing, NUnit, XUnit, and MBUnit, not to mention the free wrappers for Telerik RAD controls for ASP.NET AJAX and Silverlight that ship with Telerik's new testing tool. Surely one of its best features 
Web AII testing framework, which is developed by Art of Test, is absolutely free. If you're already hooked on Web AII testing framework, you can start using it right away. Go to Telerik.com for more info. And hey, make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. All right, let's get back to SSIS. Okay. So I think developers really needed to know about it because it doesn't make any sense to write the data plumbing. Why should why should you invest a lot of effort into writing the the interfaces to read the data and to write the data? SSIS yeah. does that for you, and I think that's that's one of the big things. The other one is it's it's highly paralyzed internally, and it does a great job of memory management. Uh, those are those are particularly hard things for developers, particularly new developers, to really do very well. So. From from my point of view, I use SSIS for just about everything rather than write my own code. When you say everything, are you talking about just when you have data that isn't in the database and needs to get in there? Well, you know, that's one use of SSIS. Another use is to send the data to no place. And that may sound like a really strange thing, but one of the things I do is I do a lot of statistical analysis of data. Hmm. And what I use SSIS for is I use that to read a data source uh, use some various SSIS components to clean it up and to get in the shape I want. And then I use the built-in visualizers in there to see what the data is actually doing for me as a result of those processes. Yeah. So it's not, it's not exactly a one-trick pony. You just have to, you just, it's like anything else. The more you think outside the box, the more uses you find for it. So what is it not useful for? Um, it's really not useful for the web at all. Yeah, it's useful as background stuff. It's really useful on the server side. You're not going to produce videos with it. You're not going to make dancing carrots appear on a page. That's that's not at all what it's intended to do. Uh, the visualizations are pretty rough right now. I can I can draw maps with it, but they're point maps. So it's like an artist stippling out a map of the United States rather than having nice uh, having a nice raster version. Well, now you're Perhaps. you're mentioning UI, so there's UI involved in SSIS. There is to a degree. It's fairly primitive at this point, um, but you can use it to do some visualizations. Sure. In a Windows form application only? No, no. Inside the SS, basically, you'd be running it inside of Visual Studio or Business Intelligence Development Studio and looking at the various what they have or what's uh, what are called data viewers. And you look at the data viewers, and the data viewers are for you as a developer, not as the end, not for the end user. Well, I've actually used them in, in academic presentations where we're looking at scatter plots, and that's how I visualize the scatter plot. I guess I'm just trying to figure out what what this is. Is it a custom control? Uh, it's a control that's embedded inside of the runtime, the debugging runtime for SSIS. So it isn't something you'd plop on a Windows form. No. Okay. No, it's not something you'd want to use in that sense. So if right. you want to invoke an SSIS package, do you have to go to the SQL Server Management Studio for that? No, you can just invoke it from the command line. Okay. Because there is there is a process called dtexec that will run those jobs for you. So, you know, realistically, you could use SSIS as a background processing engine to take fairly complicated data, extract out the simplified data you want for a web control or for a visual control. And map that out. So a package that Richard just talks about is the combination of a set of data and some queries that are going to run or some commands that are going to run to move that data from one place to another. You betcha. Yeah. Yep. For example, it's not all that atypical for me to do geospatial queries and get, hmm. that, get that data and visualize it that way. 
Mm. Now, can you, obviously, you can pull data out of a database with it and then mm -hmm. do some, as you were saying, do some analysis on it and then put it back into another set of tables, like temporary tables that you can then run queries on. I guess I'm trying to figure out how, what, what other uses for it besides just um, analysis and moving of data. Like, you know, what practical uses do we have? Okay. Uh, have you ever had to take data and put it into a Word document? Well, yeah. You ever had to take data and write it to an Excel? Well, yeah. Have you ever had to take data and try and make a PowerPoint out of it? I have indeed. Okay. Well, SSIS is pretty good, or is at least reasonably good at one of those three things. It's it's very good at generating Excel files. It, with some work, you can get it to do Word files pretty well. The last one, PowerPoints, that's something I've been noodling on about how can I take data out of a database and put it into PowerPoints. Uh, for example, if you're doing a command staff briefing for the military, they love to have PowerPoints, and their PowerPoint decks are, are really death marches, if you pardon the pun. <laughs> and, uh, boy, there's just all kinds of data in there, and it goes on and on and on. I've, I've been looking for ways to automate that for a long time, uh, automate the generation of PowerPoint decks. Well, if you got the data in a database and you got SSIS, it's sort of feasible now that we have open XML format, but it's still, it's still a lot of programming work to be done. I can take this package and integrate it into my app. Like it, it sounds to me like you've got a great import export engine here. Well, you do, but you don't get a DLL when you compile it. You get something that runs in an SSIS runtime. So you do have to have a second runtime on there for the SSIS bits. So yeah, you can through shell invocation, but that's how you would do it. And, and what is this runtime? Like if I was going to distribute it to multiple machines, what do I got to ship? Uh, you would have to ship SQL Server. Which means i got to ship licenses, too. Or do I get it with Express? It's not in Express. Ugh. Yeah. So, And right. at this point, it doesn't look like there's going to be a mono-type mono version of it. Hmm. Uh, there's just not been a lot of people in the mono community that have looked at this and said it's anything that they want to invest their time into. Well, is it because it's so closely tied to SQL Server? I don't know that that's necessarily the case. See, I, I always felt that Microsoft sort of missed the boat on that one. Yeah, it works great with SQL Server, but it's so far beyond. You, know, you can do so much more than just SQL Server work with it sure. that it really, should, it really should, in a sense, be its own product. Now, of course, I'm not going to complain because when I buy a SQL Server license, I get a license for it, and that makes me pretty happy. I'd hate to have to pay a separate license fee, but you know there are a number of products out there that do basically what SSIS does that they're happy to take your money. So kudos to Microsoft for keeping it free, at least in the sense of it's included with the SQL Server license. But the limitation here from a developer's perspective is it's not something you roll into and distribute with your app. It's something that might support your app, but it's living on the SQL Server. Um, package can live anywhere, but you do have to have the runtime. And in order to have the license to the runtime, you do have to have a license for SQL Server. Right. That's how I understand it. And I always thought that SSIS's real job, like what it was built for, was the the ETL elements of an OLAP queue. Uh, I think that's definitely the primary reason it exists, but it's not the only reason to use it. Hmm. Okay, give me some give me some other practical uses. Uh, some other practical uses. Let's see. There's 
definitely visualization. There's generation of XML. Uh, if you need to do certain information out in an Excel format to, to a specified schema, it's not very hard to do that with SSIS. But have you seen XML literals in VBNet? Um, well, there's there's two problems with that. It's XML literals and it's VBNet. So Ooh, I, <laughs> <ow>. <laughs> yeah. I uh, well, it was funny because I was listening to my good friend Don Demsack's show where he was talking about the literals on the way over here, and um, Don and I kind of we have a we have a friendly we have a friendly rivalry about Xlink and, and its relative value. Uh, I'm in the SQL Server community. At one point, I guess I was known as Mister XML. So it was Don XML and Kent SQL for a while, but. Uh, I, you know, all of that, the compiler magic and, and all of that, that's one way to solve the problem. Sometimes you just like to sit down with XML Writer and get the job done. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just Good luck with approach. that. You, um, right on I've been doing it for years, self. Carl. It works just fine for me. Good. Good, good. <laughs> <laughs> I am an impartial talk show host. Again, I'm showing, I'm showing my age, I know, but... I thought Saxon was pretty cool, too. So, You know, one of the things when I experimented with SSIS that I really appreciated was it's, especially from a point of view of a guy writing his own parser for data, was its error handling capabilities. Absolutely. And pretty much for the most part, we've gone away from writing our own, how do I crack this file open and work with it? Because there are so many OLAD, OLADB and ODBC providers available now. Uh, which makes it using SSIS essentially very, very easy to do. Yeah, it, it, which is all well and fine right up until there's some kind of irregularity in the data. Right. But that, for me, has always been the hmm. bare part of this, where you ended up going to bare metal. You have to go down to the bare metal and write your own parser because there's an illegal character in there that makes the OL, uh, the thing barf, and so you just have to read it in this binary and parse it yourself. Like All that stuff you have to do by your hand is really nasty. And, and, just, and Right, and I don't want to give people the wrong impression that it's just, there's just automatic magic that makes that work, but it's very easy to redirect those rows to a rework file with SSIS and at least get your known good data into the system. Now, what's a rework file? Um, a rework file would be lines that have damaged data in them that are going to require some kind of manual or other processing on them. For example, somebody... You know, you could have a directory full of MP3s, but ID3 tags, they're not guaranteed to be there. Right. And, you know, since they're just, for the most part, they're just strings, if you're trying to convert them into something meaningful, sometimes you have to go through and figure out a different way to parse them each time. Okay. Uh, one of the very cool things I think about SSIS is the ability to do scripting in line to deal with some of that. You know, basically, uh, my favorite class in the .NET framework anymore is system.text.regularexpressions. Yeah. And I use the daylights out of that for cases like where, okay, the data is this sometimes and the data is this sometimes, but on every Tuesday where there's a full moon and it's between April and March, then you have to do this. Well, right. it makes that a little bit more approachable. Right. Well, especially when you're dealing with, you know, I got this million row import and somewhere in the last 5% of this, there's a really screwed up row and it makes the whole thing barf. So the fact right. that I can add in a feature and just say, okay, when you can't handle that row, stick it over here and finish what you can finish, that yep. to me is is brilliant. So that I end up right. with this, you know, 20 rows that are screwed up that at least I can go look at on their own. But the right. rest got parsed. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And the rest, you know, usually, usually the usually applications are smart enough to realize that they may not have all of the data, and the data may not be complete, and that you know there's some data that's that's going to be adjusted over time. So I think a rework file works really well for that. Okay. Have we really talked about the sort of build experience of creating a a, a package like this? What do you what is it like? Um, it's Lego programming. No, it's man. just it's just like many of the visual designers. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a big WWF or WFN or whatever it's being called these days. The workflow stuff, but I understand that that's a Lego design experience where you have a surface, you drop controls on it, and you wire the controls up. That's very much like what SSIS does. You have two different types of, of work. We have two different elements in a workflow. You have tasks and you have uh, data flows. Well, what you do is you start with the task, you drop whatever preparatory things you need to do onto that, like maybe I need to go down FTP some files down, or maybe I need to call a web service that gives me a bunch of discount rates for treasury notes or whatever it is. Um, get that data, do whatever preparation you need to work, truncate tables, do database consistency checks, whatever it is you need to do. Then you have a control on that form called a data flow, and that's really where the action happens. That's really what causes, uh, that's really where you do more Lego programming to say, okay, here's my data source, here's my data destination. What do I have to do to transform that data in memory as I'm moving it through the system? And it, you're primarily using T-SQL, or is there more to it? You're really not writing any T-SQL at all. Really, all you're oh, doing really? is you're, you're snapping together, you're wiring up these Legos, they're .NET controls. They're just specific to the SSIS runtime. Uh, and you can insert a script control in there. In SQL Server 2005, I like to make the joke that uh, you could program in any .NET language you like in SSIS as long as it was Visual Basic .NET. In 2008, we, we had a great improvement. You can write in any programming language you want as long as it's Visual Basic .NET or C Sharp. So the Cobalt .NET, .NET guys are still waiting by the sidelines. Unfortunately, those of us that like COBOL.net are waiting by the sidelines. <laughs> Both guys. Now, that's not entirely true, though, because using scripting, we can call a DLL that we've written in another language. So I could write all I could, I could although I would probably uh, want to eat a gun if I did this, because I could write all of my, I could really write my very serious number crunching or data processing logic in COBOL.net, compile it, uh, catalog that into the GAC, copy it to a specific directory where SSIS is going to look for it, and then write some script that calls that. Right. Yeah, you always have that option. Once you bridge to anything .NET, is you can bridge to your own assembly. Mm. Absolutely, right. And Microsoft gives you the ability to write your own tasks and components, too, using the IDTS interfaces. So you could, you could you know, if you really have a great idea for a DTS control you need, like, I'd love to have a DTS control that does regular expressions for me. Uh, not a task, but a component that does those for me. And I've looked into the feasibility of writing, writing a component to do that so that I have a binary thing I can just ship to distributors. I don't nice. have to, don't have to have a lot of other stuff. And it manifests its own UI in the DTS design environment. So there's there's plenty of there's plenty of programming that can be done with SSIS. If you really need extensibility, it's a great platform for it. But now you start getting into this whole. At what point am I crossing the reasonable line in an SSIS package? 
well, I guess I look at it from my point is there is no no line of unreasonability, but <laughs> other people may other people may have a different. You're still waiting that. for the case in which you can't use it. Pretty much, I'm still pretty much waiting for the case where I can't use it. Now, a couple of things, Kent, that I certainly ran into with DTS back in the bad old days. Mm-hmm. Um, source control and backing oh. these things up and migrating from machine to machine. TFS, anybody? What's that? Anybody got T- are you Are you running TFS now? Aren't we all? Uh, well, no, not everybody. But I think the majority of shops are doing that. And SSIS is just a, another friendly member of the Visual Studio family that integrates quite nicely with that. Deployment can be a little bit of a sticky issue with SSIS. Uh, depending on which controls you use, you may inadvertently pin yourself to having to run the package on the local machine, which is right. not really a very good idea. No. There is one destination adapter that works with the shared memory provider only, and that pins you to having to run the package on the host where you're writing the data to. Other than that, for the most part, it's pretty straightforward because the file that it generates is just XML. When you save a package you've designed in the designer, it's just XML. Nice. So you could take it and run it any place, and what's very, very nice about SSIS is it has a great configuration system that you can overwrite parts of that just by simply saying, here's a fragment that I want you to apply over the top of it. It's called configurations. Hmm. And those can come from the database, they can come from an XML file, they can come from the environment, or they can come from the registry. And what would be in this thing? Like The actual name of the database or you know, name sure. of the table, that kind of thing? Right. Like, let's say that you have a connection string to a destination database that you want to write to. Well, does it make any sense to leave that hard-coded in the package? Well, probably not. So what you would do is you'd create a configuration, and then you'd say, okay, I'm allowed to import a configuration from a configuration file. Now, there's a configuration file editor that will, that will let you change that value in a GUI, but, you know, since it's an XML file, you can bring it up in Notepad and change it if you need to. Right. So when you're... Uh, running these packages, and I, I could just see that they would run on the, since they're running on the server, they might be remotely invoked and so forth. Uh, what about the reporting of the results? Where does that turn up? You can log it to basically any place you like. You can even write your own log provider if you're using something like Unicenter. My, my tool of choice is to log it to the SQL Server database that I'm writing it to. Uh, and the log files can be pretty, you know, you can get a lot of rows in that. But with SQL Server, it's pretty easy to filter out the events you're just looking for. And then I suppose if you really wanted to, you could use the reporting controls in WinForms, or you could write an SSRS report to do that. Yeah, because, of course, naturally this would tie to reporting services in some way. Yeah. The big trick there is got to remember to configure logging, and you basically have to make sure that every event you're interested in, you've checked, because it's off by default. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. So yeah, but they they don't because logging has overhead, and SS the point of SSIS is to get things done as quickly as possible. Well, if they did a they did a lot of logging, it would slow the package down tremendously. So they give you a lot of control over what gets logged, but it's your responsibility to make sure that you tell it what you want logged. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Redgate, makers of Ant's Performance Profiler. You know what a performance profiler does. You run it, and it tells you where the bottlenecks are in your code. You can profile any .NET application, including ASP.NET Web Apps. 
So if you're a .NET developer of any kind, you want to find out where your code is choking, go to shrinkster.com slash 19OP, that's 19, the letter O, P, as in Paul, and check out Redgate's Ants Performance Profiler. You'll be glad you did. I feel like we almost have a missing piece here. I could see a, a standalone application built by developers that wants to, say, invoke data imports. Say there's data being brought in through FTP or some kind of WCF connection or via the web. And as it arrives, uh, an application notices it. You know, it's got some kind of washer that sees it coming in. And then it knows what package to invoke uh, in SSIS to actually import that data and make it available. And you could do this all very queue-based, sort of asynchronously. The, the challenge would be, what am I communicating to on the SSIS box? About Service Broker. Right, right. Does this still exist? Service Broker still Service Broker has not gone away, and I don't think it ever will, because they use it for too many of the internals of SQL Server. But it sure seems like the red-headed stepchild of SQL Server. Um, well, I think WCF has has taken it off the developer's focus. And that's kind of sad, but I think Service Broker is one of the very, very cool things that they introduced with the Yukon or the SQL Server 2005 bits. And it just does not get enough attention. But I'd love, right. to, love to come back on and do a, do a talk about Service Broker because it is so cool. And it does, there is a 2008 version of it. Absolutely. So that that's really the thing to call if you wanted to invoke into the SSIS stack correctly. Well, it's one way to do it. Right there, there are there are lots of ways. The nice thing, and I think one of the nice things in general about the Microsoft platform is, you have the ability to code whatever you can code, and that gives you tremendous flexibility. But as, as a lot of people who've been on, I've been on the show have said, it's just figuring out what you want to do and figuring out what's available to do it with, because there's so much stuff to pick from. Right. Uh, those of us that have a SQL Server bias, we're going to look towards SQL Server first. Those of you that have a Visual Studio bias, you're going to look at the framework first. Nothing wrong necessarily with either solution. It's just different ways of looking at this, the solution stacks we know. Well, and in the end, Service Broker is a queuing stack, so immediately I think MTS as well. You could do MTS. You could probably even do WCF, right? Yeah. You could certainly set up a WCF service that takes a message saying, go invoke this package. And uh, and it just runs on the SSIS box. It's listening on some kind of port. You you push your thing in and off it goes. You bet. Uh, that immediately begs the question for me of security. But right. uh, I'm, I'm afraid I suddenly put my IT hat on here because if you say security on a dev show, everybody walks away. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm not so sure that that's true anymore. I mean, a lot of developers will, will shy away from it. But I've been really blessed here since starting uh starting here at CTU to work with some really brilliant security people, and a lot of them are developers. A lot of them have a development background. So I think security is has certainly come to the forefront, and I think there are a lot of different ways that security can be done with things like WCF. And you know, in this particular scenario, it wouldn't be hard to send uh, the message encrypted. So that you know, you know, basically the encryptor would have to have a key to send you to encrypt the message to send you to, to invoke the work. And the big thing I'm concerned about is what privileges does that SSIS service have to have to execute these packages? I mean, obviously it needs to read from a disk. It needs to be able to write into the database and vice versa, perhaps. Like that, mm-hmm. that to me seems like pretty significant privileges for a 
non-human interfaced uh, account? Um, I'm running as I'm running SQL Server 2005 and 2008 under Network Service, so that's a fairly low privilege account to start with. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could really tighten it up if you needed to. The 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 thing I would worry much more about in a service based scenario would be denial of service attack. Right, just trying to take the service offline by overwhelming it with requests. Yeah. You're hammering away, dumping bad files up there and, and and having them invoked like mad. Yeah, or even potentially files that are infected with viruses and scripts. Right. right. You have to be really you know, this is something you do have to think about. If you're remote if you're allowing people to remotely execute code on your machines, you get what you deserve. <laughs> but, you know, why then why do we have WCF at all? <laughs> because you know, that's you know you're basically allowing the same thing. You're writing a service, but it's really a question of execution versus you know, mm-hmm. you know what you actually want to do with it. Right. I right, got very geeky there. A um, <laughs> lot of difference between SSIS 2005 and 2008 because 2005 was really the first version, right? Yeah. Well, I think it was I think you could say that the difference between DTS and SQL Server 2005 was the difference between a lightning bug and a lightning bolt. <laughs> it was just there was just that much difference between them. 2008 really seems to me to be a lot of refinement work was done. Uh, the addition of C sharp for scripting, the uh, the ability to have references to web services without having to use the proxy generator, uh, the new cache component, the new data profiling component. And dynamic CPU scheduling. I mean, those those alone are worth the price of admission. Are they showstoppers? Are they things that are going to get a lot of attention to the developer community? No. Should they? Mm, I don't know. And and 2008 R2 just shipped. Yeah. Which I mean, I hate the naming scheme, but that's really another version of SQL Server, right? Um, as I as I look at it, it's it's more upgrades. What are the bits that I'm really interested in in 2008 are the Gemini bits. What's that? The Gemini bits are self-service BI. Uh, kind of, Microsoft has got has got us into the boat of writing reports as developers, and they realized, well, that's a that's a bad use of of developers because developers are expensive. So let's figure out a way to push that down to the information worker. That's what Gemini is all about, as, as I see it. Is it's really their attempt to get business intelligence in the hands of users with a minimum of developer involvement. Uh, there is something called Project Madison, which to me appears to be the result of Microsoft's acquisition of Data Allegro for making very large-scale databases. Now, whether that's going to be in 2008 R2 or whether that's going to be in the next generation, next release of SQL Server, I'm not sure at all. But Microsoft is actually getting the bits out um, and letting people see them. Although it's a whole other show, I do think that Microsoft has, with uh, the whole BI stack that's in SQL Server, and as this has been evolving, is making bringing BI to the masses. It used to be a quarter million dollar guys in white lab coat proposition, yep. and now it's pretty much any desktop machine. You got a chunk of data? Let's analyze it. Let's do some data mining. Yeah, and I can I can remember trying to do this stuff back in SQL Server two thousand with their OLAP services and, and really struggling with writing MDX. And I, I'm just amazed at how far they've refined it. You know, now hardly ever even have to write an MDX query. So, yeah, they've done a, they've done a really good job on, on making it 
approachable by the masses. And I think they've done a good job of making it much more approachable by developers. So an SSIS package can be checked in TFS, so it can be source controlled because in the end it's all XML, which also makes it very portable if I want to run it on different machines with that config file. I'm just trying right. to think of the things that developers generally worry about around using SSIS. Just, just to close the gate on that one, it also works with SVN. I've, I've set up Subversion, and I use it with that. Yeah, you can't resist Subversion. It's just nope. a little too easy. Yep, I absolutely agree. But you do, whenever you're going to go in and modify that XML package, you are doing that through the the management studio for SQL Server. Um, whatever editor of choice you want, right? Whatever, Because it's just an XML file, you could use Notepad, you, I use TextPad32, uh, or gedit, right? So is this actually XML that you can make sense of? Uh, I can, <laughs> right? Because I know what the schema is. <laughs> Uh, somebody does need to publish a really good schema reference for it, right? And for the most part, they've done a good job of choosing intuitive names, like connection strings have a connection string property that literally has a connection string to it. Now, there are some that are a little more esoteric than that, but uh, for the most part, yeah, it's, it is living the XML mantra of be, uh, be self-evidencing as to what your intention is. Yeah, because there's plenty of XML out there that's pretty impenetrable. Much of it created by Microsoft. No comment. No <laughs> comments. Not going to put my foot in that one again. <laughs> oh, man. What was that What was that line? The, the, the itchy, scratchy chafing of XML? Something like that. Sharp and what did yeah. he call it? The pointy elbows? Pointy. I can't remember. Pointy, scratchy. Uh, XML XML gets such a bad rap on it. Well, okay, yeah, it really does fully deserve it. Well, and you talk about that whole Lego interface, you know, uh, you're only going to get that from the management studio when you load the XML up through that, right? Through the business intelligence design studio, right? Which is really just Visual Studio. What it, what it amounts to is, in Visual Studio, the SQL Server team created a vSIP-style add-in to do the design of DTS packages. So it's really done in Visual Studio. It's not done in Management Studio at all. Okay. Right now, for legacy purposes, DTS packages, there's a plugin that you can get from Management Studio that will let you view, and I think it lets you edit DTS packages, although um, my my experience has been you wind up writing de- rewriting DTS packages anyway. You don't you don't upgrade them. You rewrite them. Right. Yeah, they're just uh, they're, they're too finicky. Yep, and it just doesn't translate very well. You don't go from a design pattern that was essentially uh, extract, load, and transform to one that's a that's a different pattern of extract, transform, and load. Right. Is there is there anything that you want to see in the next version of SSIS? Um, geospatial data sources would be an absolute boon for me personally because they do so much work with that kind of stuff. Right. I, that would be a great one. Because we have spatial um, data types now and SSIS doesn't work with them? It doesn't, it doesn't understand them as anything more than a stream of bytes. Hmm. The real problem for me is that it can't read shape files and it can't read a lot of the, the data files that we get our geographic information in for defining those polygons. So that that's a that's a reason why, as Bob talked about when he was on your show, he talked about a tool called FME from Safe. It's very SSS, very SSIS like, but it knows how to read those file formats, and it's an absolutely great tool. 
Yeah, especially I'm thinking about all the data you can get out there today that is geospatial data, and you get back to that same old problem. Parsing this yourself is a bear. Oh, absolutely, right. And pretty much any time you have to parse data yourself, it's a bear. SQL SSIS does a good job of letting you write scripts as data sources, write scripts as data destinations, and write scripts as data transforms. It will help quite a bit with that, but there's still a lot of processing to be done. I mean, it's still a lot of programming. So, and in that sense, the programmer part of me is very happy because I can go write code uh, and and enjoy that experience. But I can still do it, taking full advantage of a nice framework for data in, data input, data output, and data throughput. Uh, something else, I'd, I'd like to see some different visualizations. I'd like to be able to take, for example, here's a, here's a chunk of XAML that describes how I want to visualize data and be able to do some 3D rendering of data with it. I think that would be very impressive. Um, that, those, those are the two big things I'm looking for. You know, as always, I want more throughput. I want uh, faster processing times and all that kind of stuff. And Microsoft's usually pretty good about getting getting that done. But to me, it's it's improving the the reach of the product for a data source. Maybe looking at a few more data destinations if they're really needed. It's hard to say, but giving me some more visualizations at runtime would be really nice. All right. So, what do have we missed anything on SSIS? I don't think so. I think we pretty well covered that list. That's the things that devs need to know. So are you speaking anywhere coming up here? I'll be talking at HDC, the Heartland Developers Conference in Omaha in October. Uh, that's a show that I try to make every year. Couldn't, there was a couple of years where I couldn't make it because I was on assignment with Microsoft, and Don came and was me for a while. So it was fun to have Don Demsack and you know, be interchangeable with me for a while, although that, the irony of that is pretty Pretty interesting. Um, looking at maybe doing a couple of code camp style things in Minnesota, and we're trying to get a .NET users group going here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, so I'm looking forward to getting back with Mike Benkovich and doing some talks with him. Uh, cool. So, uh, why is Plural Site so cool? And you can tell this is a loaded question. Well, boy, is that a loaded question? This uh, is like a Plural Site day for us. We're recording you and Aaron. Oh, well, cool. Um, and actually, Aaron is one of the reasons that I think Pluralsight is cool. Uh, many years ago, I think it was in about 2004, of course, that's many years in this industry, right? It's a heart, heartbeat anyplace else. I went to work for a company that uh, Bob Boschman recruited me into, and Bob and I got to work together. But before I had gone to work for that company, I had been a student of theirs for, for a long, long time, and I had glisten classes with Fritz and with Aaron and with Don Box and yep. all of these and all of these big rock stars and I was always just blown away. And I remember sitting in uh, in class one time and I'm going, Wow, if I can ever be one percent as good as Fritz Onion, I'll be just really just be really happy with my with my career. And then here uh in two thousand six I was back in the same classroom teaching uh, a revised version of his class going, Holy cow, I've made it this far. Well, you know, those people left that company and they went to form Pluralsight. And earlier this year when my relationship with that company came to an end, I was looking for a new home and the the folks at Pluralsight were gracious enough to contact me and say, you know, we'd really like to have you on board to help us with SQL Server. It was it was just a no brainer. Just getting to work with those people again is it's just been fabulous. Yeah. When you work with the best, you're challenged to be your best. True. 
So um, how did you get into databases and SQL Server? Yeah, it's kind of a bizarre thing because I was I was trained as I went when I went to first first went to school I was uh, doing economics. You know, I always thought oh, I want to be an economist. Well, I found out two things very quickly. You have to know a lot of math as an economist. Yeah, and if you know a lot of math and you know a lot of economics. You don't have any job potential. Yeah. Uh, you know, really, you could go to work for the Federal Reserve, but you at could, that time, there was not a lot of other stuff to do. Right for the paper. So I was able to take that knowledge of data manipulation and working and storing data inside of databases and manipulating it, and just uh, got really into databases from there. That's cool. Hey, uh, we're just about out of time. Is there any last-minute things that you want to throw out there? Mm, you know, Carl, I'd love to have a show where you could talk to Sai Saban from uh, the UK, because he is a really good SSIS person, and he's got a lot of fun fun stories to tell. So I think that would be fun if you could do that. And uh, please, please, please bring Don Farmer back on the show. Oh, I yeah, really like gotta... Donald, and he is, he's just great to listen to. So if you can pull that off for me, uh, be, be a very happy .NET Rocks listener. Great. Yeah, that sounds within the realm of reason, I think. Don't you, Richard? Absolutely. And uh, not just recently in contact with Don, too. Let's see what we can do. Excellent. Sounds great. Ken Teagles, thank you very much. It's been enlightening. Thank you, gentlemen. And we'll see you next time. .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Plop Productions. Providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklin's.com. .net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a